Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So today is going to be one hell of an interesting conversation, to say the least. So my nickname, I'm going to keep keep nickname simple, and I'm going to call him the Dude Boss. My man, Drew, without further ado, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you and what we're going to be talking about today? What's up, uh, everybody out there? My man, S.A. over at the Boss on Cage. This is cool because I you know, we popped up, we never met before. And I was like, this dude's got some edge, man. This is like, you know, my uh, somewhat identical twin brother over there. So I like that. I like how we're rolling. We got it down. He's got, and then we like, realize you're from New York. I'm from New Jersey, New York. So, you know, we, uh, we probably have some similarities that are overlapping, but Hey man, I'm here for you. So we got our brand Derm dude that uh, we just launched uh, not too long ago. And uh, it's a men's grooming brand. My history was, is about 20 years in uh, Hollywood, celebrity skincare and beauty and all that stuff for a lot of big brands, people that you would know and products that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have bought or their wives and girlfriends. Uh, and then in the middle of the pandemic, uh, kind of wound almost all that down and launched Derm Dude, which is a men's grooming brand, but we say your best balls, beard and tattoos. And that's that's the main thing people come to us for is if you are looking for products when you're getting a new tattoo to help heal it or take care of your existing tattoos and make them happy and poppy and shiny or SPF for your tattoos or all your tattoo care, your beard. I could never grow a beard. That's the truth. We have pictures of me all over the website with a patchy, spotty, not a good beard, you know, kind of like a little boy beard. And then as we developed the Derm Dude products and tested them and tested them, it took about a year. I was finally able to grow a big boy beard. So we have our beard line, and then obviously we got our ball line, which is, uh, no pun intended, been pretty huge for us. So, uh, you know, and uh, our ball line's fun. Uh, we'll talk about it, you know. Everybody wants uh, good-smelling balls, right? And great-smelling balls are win-win, you know. Everybody wins. So yeah. it's so much, so much to unpack from from, from that introduction. I mean, I, I'll start historically, <laughs> right? So this this start off with, with like the layman terminology first of all. Like you're an Emmy award winning producer. Like this start, like how did you even get into that ball game to begin with? Yeah, so I got to change that on our copy because it's like our third podcast today. We must have wrote wrong. Emmy nominated. So it's not, and you got it right on your end. I'm sure someone on my end uh, inflated it up a notch, and even though it was 25 years ago. But so yeah, and Emmy nominated did win a bunch of awards in uh, the commercial world as well. Um, but in that sense, so I went to originally went to school, uh, college for broadcast journalism. Um, I have a degree from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, which to the people our age and older, they actually know who Walter Cronkite was. Uh, my uh, 24-year-old social media manager over to my left, the young lady with green hair is like, Walter, what? Who was that? <laughs> you know, uh, what, what uh, was he on YouTube? So anyway, uh, had a degree from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona State uh, and, and was pursuing that as a news producer, journalist. And uh, one of our newscasts, the one I was on, did get nominated for an Emmy. We didn't win, but it was cool. 
Uh, even if we won back then, there was no eBay. So it's not like we could have sold the trophy on eBay and made like real money. Uh, went down that path, had one of a bunch of like really big flame outs. Um, for me, my book gets into this. I have a book coming out in a few weeks. One of the reasons we're excited to talk to you. It's called Under My Skin. It tells my whole life crazy effed up journey. People think it's fiction and it's actually real. There's some crazy, crazy shit in there. Let you read the book. Um, but I do things like usually very big and uh, they're not subtle. So if I if I do well at something, it does really well. If I flame out, there's no secret about it. It's pretty big flame out. So I flamed out in TV news, pretty big. Made it out to California, had a bunch of different things going uh, on. Nothing too special, trying to get my life back in order. Uh, watched an infomercial on TV one night in a tiny little room with rabbit ear antennas in a dinky apartment building. I was the manager because I got free rent. So that's how I got by, by managing a building. And I saw an infomercial many, many years ago for this thing called Tybo with this dude, Billy Blanks, that a lot of people might remember. Is infomercial was taking off and the next day i went across the street saw some dude teaching yoga like 25 years ago i'm like this this could be big i saw one of them infomercial things and went to the public library across the street didn't have a computer photocopied some type of a manager's agreement because i might as well be his manager we'll make one of these infomercials and did that and three years later ended up raising a ton of money and producing an infomercial and then my world in commercial tv literally got started that bizarre backwards half-ass and you know that's kind of the way my whole life's been hmm. I, I think it's definitely interesting i mean i, th I read somewhere in, in doing my due diligence that that your dad used to call you the wolf so i want to yeah. kind of like talk about like how did how did that come to be i mean obviously you said you didn't have a beard so it wasn't like you you were a hairy ass kid like what, what was the real <laughs> meaning behind your dad calling you a wolf I was a hairy ass kid, actually. I remember being in second grade and like raising my arm to close the window. And so I'm like, what's that? And there was like hair under my arm. I'm like, what the? <laughs> but I, I definitely didn't have a beard. So, uh, yeah. So uh, I grew up in a family of boys. It was me and my brother and my dad and my mom. I, we were talking before my dad was a Brooklyn guy, played a lot of hockey and uh, not on the pro level, but played a lot of, you know, competitive, you know, hockey. Uh, we did growing up, you know, uh, we kind of roughhoused a lot and very early on. Uh, both of my front teeth got knocked out early. And for a while, the only two teeth I had as a kid were my two front ones grew back in and, and not, no other ones for a while. So he would say I looked like a wolf. And that name stuck. It became a very meaningful thing, you know, throughout life to the point where uh, with my own son now, that's uh, his middle name. And, you know, I have his, his uh, I have a wolf tattoo on my arm here. I have two wolves on the side of my body. So uh, you know, being able to pass that down, you know, my own relationship with my father is very complicated. Um, my book goes into a lot of detail on that, you know, and uh, so but one of the things that's very, I think, helpful as a as you get older, and certainly as a parent is you have an opportunity to not only do things differently with your own kids, but you also see some things and understand some things about your own parents that maybe you're not as angry about or critical about or mm. or you, you understand a little bit more or you give them a little bit more grace maybe when you're also in that role uh, with your own kids and, and doing the best you can i think i think it's definitely fascinating i think there's so much to unpack with that um in your book you did a dedication to your dad and it has said for dad heaven has no traffic jams the food always comes out fast 
and the NFL Sunday tickets never go up in price. So I want you to kind of like, you know, kind of you kind of just opened up Pandora's box when you start talking about your dad. So I want to kind of like unpack that. What, what does that really mean? Because I mean, the layman person, they can understand the terminology, but I know for you, it was something personal that you wrote in there. Yeah, well, I think, look, you know, fathers and sons, I think, is uh, a very powerful impact on any man's life any any boy any grown-up any grown man that and and you know there's kids who grow up without a father that impacts their life in a totally different way you know and, and how you end up coming out whether your relationship with your father was good or bad or, or mixed or strong or weak or whether your father and you had a, a affectionate relationship or a very you know you know son you know you know formal everyone has all different types um for me um it it was uh it was complicated in the sense i i I refer to a chapter one of the chapters in the book as i said my father uh my my uh uh, friend and foe and he was and he was my greatest friend and and my biggest foe and and and, you know i don't say that lightly um he was never did not go to college could not afford to grew up with a very Typical at that time, Brooklyn, New York, working class family. His dad was a grocer, very hardworking people. Um, and he ended up uh, ultimately starting a company fairly young that, that he took public and took a company public. And this is a guy who never went to college, did not have any formal, certainly no education, no no formal training. Uh, and, and he really accomplished that by doing that. And I watched that, a front row seat to that um, very authentically and genuinely. And, and by with a lot of attributes that I believe I've been fortunate to have watched and observed and I think they make up probably the better side of things that I do in business I, I definitely picked up from him um, and I appreciate that and, and that but at, at the same point um, you know there were parts that were uh, very challenging um, you know uh, and I think when you read the dedication of the book like you did kind of what it all comes back to you know when you say the food always comes out on time the Sunday ticket never goes up in price to football. There's no traffic jams. You know, he was a man who who wanted what he wanted when he effing wanted it. And uh, and and if it didn't happen, man, you weren't just going to know about it. You know, anyone in, in a couple of blocks or a couple miles radius was going to know about it. And sometimes that's funny. It's it's more funny looking back at, in life. And, you know, my brother and I talk about this, you know, I'm 50. He's, I think, 53 right now you can you can laugh about it more or you can laugh about it if you're watching it like on a sitcom or something and it's you know Seinfeld and whatever but as a kid growing up you know some of those types of things taken to an extreme um are, are not always the most uh ideal situation or there are things that you look at and say okay patience you know calmness um a level of understanding those are some things i want to bring to my own son and my my three daughters and um you know there's a lot of amazing qualities from my father that i'm able to uh, grow from even now probably now more than ever um but it is okay i've realized to also look at your parents and say hey they they certainly weren't perfect they know they weren't it's not a criticism but you also don't have to repeat everything they did just because they did it um so yeah uh traffic you you would not want to be in and traffic with uh with my dad you would sooner get out and, and walk or hop a bus or just jump across the river and swim and uh he was very passionate about the fact that uh when direct tv raised the price i think again on the nfl ticket 
he was pretty certain that, that his canceling would be the undoing of the entire NFL and direct TV. So he, you know, it was in his later years, he was getting a little, a little cranky and, you know, you'd be at a restaurant and, you know, it would, it would be before the waiter would take the order. He would say, where's the food? <laughs> you know? um, I tell a funny story. I think, I, I think I mentioned it in the book and, and it is funny, but again, it, you have to think through that this isn't someone who is trying to be funny. So mm. this goes back to um, just, just who he was. And again, there's a lot of benefits from his, his dryness, his sarcasm, his, his he was honest. he always knew, knew how he felt where he stood. He and I were passing an Apple store. It was a few, few years before he died. Um, and uh, I had taken him somewhere for his 75th birthday. He and I, and uh, he was not a big technology person. I think it was the second version ever of the iPad. The Apple iPad had come out. And he was not aware of like how people line up around the corner with these Apple stores. Like, you know, you'll see now, like it's a, it's been a thing that you do for the fun of it. Like, I'm going to get online the night before because I want the first iPhone 14. I don't want the one that I could walk in tomorrow and get with no line. I need the first one, you know. Yeah. So we're walking down, you know, the street and early in the morning, a little bit before 10 o'clock, store's about to open. There's this big line around the corner, which he, he genuinely didn't realize. That was people waiting to get into the Apple store for them to open for the iPad release. So the guy goes to open the door and he just, oh, and he walks in, he sees the sign with the iPad and he turns to the guy who was wearing a, a green shirt, you know, that said Apple genius. Remember that they all used to wear shirts that said genius. And my father just looks at him and the guy's looking at my father, like, why did this guy just walk into the front, you know? And my father, oh yeah, yeah. One, one of the iPads there, you know, I, I want to, I want to take one of the iPads. How much are they? I'm going to get one for your mother. You know, very East Coast. I'm going to get one for your mother. You know, one of my iPads. And the guy just looks at him, young kid. He goes, sir, it's going to be at least an hour to speak to a genius. And my father just goes, oh, yeah? How long to speak to an asshole? And he just turns around and leaves. <laughs> and then, you know, on his way out, he's like, ah, this, this Apple store, this place is going down the toilet. They'll never, they'll never make it with customer service like that. You know, so um, for a guy who had a lot of intuition and natural business sense, and he did, but it was on a it was a different time and a different level. His skill set um, fit very well, um, you know, in the late sixties or, or really the seventies and eighties when that was his time to to shine. And you know, by the time the the, dec the century turned around or we got into the two thousands, I think. Uh, I think he found that era more and more challenging to exist, quite frankly. So, I mean, I, th I think that's de definitely funny, right? Considering that, that you have kids right now and, and you have a brand, like one of your products names is Happy Sack Nut Love. Like, like what would your father think about the name of that particular product? And then I want you to kind of really answer, like, how did you come up with these concepts for the names? I, I think he would have laughed his ass off. I mean, he definitely had a really good sense of humor. I don't know that he would have gotten some of the we, we try to really put a lot of like wit and intelligent humor into our, our marketing. And it may or may not be as obvious. I mean, sometimes, you know, with the name, I don't know if people like, you know, if they if they go to our website and even read some of our mantras or slogans or sayings, um, you know, some of it is a little bit more clever. We try not to be just crass, like we don't use curse words just for the sake of it. Um, you know, it has to have a, a purpose, move something forward. Um, so I, I think he would have laughed his, his his ass off on that. And he probably never would have even realized what the product did or what it was for, but he would have told everyone that his son developed something called happy sack, not love. He'd have been, he'd have been really proud of that. Uh, with my kids, the ironic part, I have four kids. Um, I have a 15 year old daughter. I have twin girls who are six and a boy who's seven. And, uh, 
you know, I was never a huge social media person. I found it to be more of a necessity to share some photos and stuff. I owned a pretty successful LA agency for 15, 20 years. So social media was part of our world. People were paying us for it. So I certainly couldn't be overtly anti-social media and I had to understand it and know it, but it wasn't something I personally brought joy from in my regular day life. I, I don't want to sit there and, you know, and I know there's a lot of downsides to it as well and, and some positives. Um, but TikTok had obviously come along and we had set up a TikTok page for Derm Dude when we first launched. Someone who was like one of our assistants just set up the page, put up a few videos, nothing really happened, never touched it because I, I certainly didn't understand the format, all these weird sounds and people doing, I'm like, that's just not for me. And I, I'd even commented and said, you know, if, if the only way people kept saying, you just got to get on TikTok, man, there's something that'll work for you on TikTok. And I'm like, dude, if I have to go on TikTok and 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 make weird sounds and and follow trends of people doing funny dances, this brand ain't going to work because that ain't me. So we never really did it. And we, we, we were doing well in other areas of social media, paid marketing, and, and our brand was definitely starting to go in the right direction for sure. But about two months ago, my, my six-year-old twins, all of a sudden I'm sitting there and they're playing with their nanny's iPhone or someone's iPhone. And I hear these sounds. I'm like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, oh, a TikTok daddy, TikTok daddy. And they, they're very funny the way they speak. I mean, I call them my minions because between my three little ones, like they have a language of their own and uh, and I go, you guys shouldn't be on TikTok. And I was, you know, about to like say to who gave them their phone? Why are they on TikTok? And I'm watching how fluid they are. I'm like, what did you just do? And she's like, oh, I made graphics, daddy. Now what's that? Oh, you can do that. And oh, and here's how you do the sounds. Oh, but daddy, there's 20 sounds. And so they literally spent about a half hour and and showed me. And I, I was like, man, if, if my six-year-olds can like master this, surely I could. So I, I came back into the office. And literally, you know, we started sit, sitting right here. We used to have a podcast. We had the cameras up and, and just started riffing, doing these tiny little riffs. And uh, about, I don't know, like six, eight weeks after my, my twins showed me the light on TikTok, I sat here, a buddy showed up. We weren't even supposed to be filming. The guys rolled the cameras. I didn't have head, headsets on. And, and I just explained, oh, yeah, here's our ball wash. And here's, and here's our our happy sack nut love and here's our ballgasmic ball wash and our maze balls deodorizing ball spray and all these different things and but i was just explaining it to it like a friend they took a 30 second video and they put it up on tiktok and that video has over 5 million views now and uh you know and it kind of just you know i think we're coming to about a hundred thousand subscribers almost i don't follow like that part of it that religiously but what it did is it really opened up a a a path for us that for some reason our brand and myself just being real and shooting the shit for, you know, I'll, I'll riff for 10, 15 minutes sitting here saying whatever I want to say, just being candid about the products um, or anything related to them or how we do things, or it could be informative about the products, about beards, tattoos, sharing like real life questions that people have. And, you know, our, our, our people, small little group will edit those into these 30, 40 second clips that, you know, are, are what I say, you know, we're not messing with it and they, they do well. I mean, they, a bunch of these videos have just done ridiculously well, but that's what has been the most fun is I don't have to not be me. It's me being me. Uh, if I feel like saying something, I say it, you know, that's the beauty of this brand after 20 years in Hollywood of, you know, being paid to manage and market and direct and do things the Hollywood way. This brand is the anti-Hollywood. It, it's no bull, no BS, no celebrities. Uh, I have friends who are celebrities. I haven't asked them to endorse it or be involved because I'm not, 
I didn't create this for celebrities. I created it for dudes. I created it for myself, guys like yourself, guys who have a beard. I don't know if you have any tattoos. I'm pretty sure that you have balls and, you know, and, and, you know, when we say, honestly, like the great smelling balls is a win-win. I mean, it's the truth. Half of our ball audience buyers are women. Um, half of the people who buy our tattoo products are women for their own tattoos. And women buy our beard products because, you know, we have our, 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 uh, holiday pumpkin spice beard oil right now. It's women who are buying it for, for their dudes. So, um, you know, it, it's just been so real and, uh, and genuine. And that's the whole thing. You know, I'm the guinea pig. We develop a product. And if it's not 110%, if I don't love it. It doesn't matter what the product is. If I don't love it and wouldn't use it and believe in it and want to share it with my friends and family, we, we don't put it out. We've killed products, you know, eight months into development. Um, most of our formulas take close to a year to develop. So we didn't really set out with Derm Dude to market. We set out to build a great brand of products that was number one. We knew we could market because that's what we've done for 15, 20 years and sold over a billion dollars in revenue of other people's products. That's why what's kind of cool is our real marketing has been not marketing. It's just been me talking about this. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that's all we need to do because it's legit and it is what it is. So, and you know, I know you asked about the names, but I'll come up for air in case. Uh, no, no, no. I, I think, I think, I mean, like the, the way you're defining it, I mean, you're, you're telling a hell of a story and it kind of goes back to you being a storyteller. You've been in industry telling stories for forever. Right. So, and I think to take away some of the things that you talked about, I mean, you said a hundred thousand subscribers, you talked about tattoos. I'm covered in about maybe 30 to 40% in ink right now. So I'm definitely covered in tattoos, but I think that hundred thousand kind of sparked something else that, that I read about you or I watched a video. I don't remember. I, it's like all this information is just, I, I just absorbed it. But, you spent about a hundred thousand dollars just on ink, and I, I'm just and I'm, I'm saying this like not being facetious, right? I'm saying so if you have a hundred thousand subscribers, you spend a hundred thousand on ink, then when you get to two hundred thousand, then obviously you need to up up your ink game, right? I mean, you're not completely covered yet, so like the next phase is to kind of get you a, an entire yakuza suit when this story's <laughs> it done, right? So let's let's talk about like the ink. I mean, obviously you talked about the wolves earlier on, like how does that play into like your marketing strategy for your environment? I know you're being you, but how does that work? in benefit for what you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it's a variety of different ways. One is, as you said at the end, it's just me being me. I mean, I've never gotten a tattoo for the purpose of, oh, this will be great for the brand. Um, you know, it, it is good for the brand because the brand, our first product line was our tattoo line. And, yeah. and that is what about a year and a half ago really was the fire under me to start Durham Dude. And I cover that in the book. I go into a whole chapter of it. I was I won't do the whole thing here. It would be a five-hour podcast, but I was in Bali doing a, a tattoo with a very talented, elusive artist. It was a very emotional, meaningful tattoo over two days. I ended up hiking a volcano, got an infect, almost an infection in my chest because I wasn't taking care of it. Oh. And that led me to say, okay, I'm, I'm starting a tattoo brand that is made by tattoo collectors for tattoo collectors. None of, none of this BS that, you know, you see someone... Uh, you know, on, on a reality show who has two tattoos and gets a, an investment from a bunch of sharks. And I'm not knocking, but I'm just saying it's, yeah. you know, people who, who know tattoos want to buy products from people who have tattoos and who spent a year formulating and going through 80, 90 rounds of formulas. And, uh -huh. you know, if you don't have a lot of tattoos, you really don't understand the process or the skin. And I think that's so that that was helpful in that it was a natural authenticity Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously we went into beard and balls and I mean, we have, you know, uh, 
so many other things. We also have deodorant, we have body washes. Uh, it's a complete men's grooming brand, and we have nine different SKUs that we're just waiting to release uh, in the coming year as well. So, but uh, tattoos started it. And, you know, one of the things I said early on, and I, and I cover it in my book, is the two things that there's not a day that goes by that someone doesn't ask me. Um, and for me, like right now, I had to ask you if you have tattoos just because you're wearing long sleeves. And if you have any on your hands or neck, it's not visible over time. And some of these were more recent besides short sleeves, you know, as you start adding to your neck um, and your hands and you move like this, it, it's not possible for me to walk out with someone not to see my tattoos. I mean, I recently did a very big head tattoo and I, I have a full head of hair, but I actually shaved my head ball just to do a head tattoo. Cause I'm like, I'm going to hit it at some point. I'm going <laughs> to you know, run out of real estate at some point. Um, so I figured I might as well test the waters. Um, and, um, so the two things that people will say, whether I'm in line at Starbucks or I'm on an airplane going somewhere, I travel a lot for work, I could be anywhere. And if someone's looking at me, they're going to ask one, how much did they hurt? And two, how much did they cost? And the two things, and I, I don't mind any of it. And I'm always an open book, but what is funny about that question is the people who ask that, which is daily and it's tons of them have no tattoos and they never plan on getting any. So I, I kind of refer to them as like the would-be NASCAR crash fans, like people who watch NASCAR just to see the crashes but aren't into racing, or they watch a hockey match just to see a fight, but they're not really into hockey. <laughs> so they're like looking at you, it's like, how much pain have you been through? <laughs> you know? Which one hurt the most? Um, and, I, you know, uh, sometimes depending on if, I'm, if I have time or I don't mind engaging, um, it's, it's usually in very good uh, intention. No one's asking meanly. Um, sometimes people will ask what a design means or what it's about. Most of my tattoos intentionally are very symbolic or uh, enigmatic. I, I do that. And I mentioned it in my book because it's more of a form of therapy for me. They're symbolic reminders for me that have a lot of meaning. I refer to myself as a giant post-it note and I'm just trying to, you know, therapeutically um, tell my own story for me and figure myself out in a lot of ways. Um, so th there's those types of things that come up uh, and people are absolutely obsessed with the cost. Um, and I will say, as you get more and more into cost, you know, I did a TikTok video for Inked Magazine uh, a couple of years ago, and it was like a six second blip on their TikTok. Um, and they asked me how much I spent on my tattoos. At the time, I said like 100 grand or 80 to 100 grand. And I got like two and a half million views in like a few days. <laughs> and and 90% of the people who do respond to those types of things are, are going to be trolls and haters because you're going to, you know, you see people who are like, oh man, $100,000, you know, my, my buddy Jed could have like done, you know, two legs, two arms and my back for 50 bucks and, you know, pack of smokes or, you know, like, I mean, everyone's got their own perspective. Yeah. And then, you know, then you see like real tattoo collectors who at least understand and are like, well, you know, top artists these days are, you know, four or five, six grand a session. They only have so much time in the day. You have a big celebrity demand. It's like anything else. I mean, you can go to a local barber shop and get your haircut there, which I do. And I spend 25 bucks. I don't spend a lot of money on, on haircuts. You can go to a salon and spend 500 bucks. I, yeah. I don't really, I keep that, you know, on, on the lower end, but for me, tattoos, as I've gotten older and have less real estate and, and have been in a position where I had more money than I did when I was starting out. But I also make a point of saying that some of my favorite tattoos and most meaningful tattoos were 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And I, I don't at all think that someone has to spend an exorbitant high amount of money on a tattoo 
to get a good tattoo. That's not at all what, what, what it's about. The reason for a high cost is a lot of variables. It's not necessarily the difference between good and bad. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I mean, we're, we're talking about tattoos. I mean, obviously we're passionate about it and I, and that, that leads me to like, that was your first product. Now, like with business strategy and you're talking about diversification, like how did you go from creating a, a product that was supposed to help the skin with tattoos, you know, heal, then jump into beards? And I understand they're all men-based products, but that's, that's a bit of a diversification between the, the two different yeah. products and the chemicals and everything else. How did you go from lotion into beard and creams and other stuff along those lines? Yeah, no, it's, that's a great question. Good point. It, it was risk management and I'm, I'm a pretty um, wide open, you know, uh, hit the gas and go when I believe in something. There's still a smart way, uh, a proper way to go about something. So again, this is the world we'd been in for 20 years was consumer products, skincare, uh, whether it be for wrinkles, you know, uh, crepey skin, um, fuller, thicker hair, makeup. Uh, this had been our world, um, working on, on countless brands with top dermatologists that were developed at some of the best labs. So I was immersed in that world. And one of the things that I mentioned earlier is that we did not, I did not want to come up with a gimmick, one or two SKUs that sold several million pieces and that was it. And they flame out overnight and someone else comes up with the next, you know, gadget or something that makes a big promise. I set out to build a brand that is growing and growing and hopefully 30 years from now and maybe long after I expire becomes uh, something that's a bit of a staple. Uh, it's really what I would love to see happen and believe. And I think we're setting the infrastructure to do that. Um, and I, and I think the category of men's grooming is hugely untapped. It was when I started and it's still extremely untapped. Um, you also have a bunch of people who every time they see a wave, they jump in the water, even if they've never surfed before and they drown. Uh, it's the same thing, you know, in this, oh, well, they're selling this, they're selling ball kit or selling tattoo. I can do that. I'll go online and order 200 products of someone else's stuff and stick a label on it. That doesn't phase me. Do it all day long. You ain't going to get anywhere. It doesn't work that way. People aren't stupid. You know, it, there's a million reasons why that doesn't work. So, so how we made the transition and why we did it this way is one, we were still running a, a pretty robust agency. I mean, we had, you know, 13, 14 clients. We were managing all of their brands, which has been very helpful in, in learning and growing and building a team and a staff to do everything. So as we started to get into tattoo, the one thing I did realize is no matter how much tattoo mom we might sell, let's say we're hugely successful, you only have so much room. I mean, you need to sell more than one product. Um, and statistically, um, I'm not the biggest data junkie in the world, but I do like smart, simple, obvious data, something to the effect of 33 or 34% of all Americans have one tattoo or more. So if you look at that number and you figure if you got one tattoo only, you're not buying tattoo skin cream to begin with or lotion or balm. So when you start to really extrapolate and look back and say, how big is the tattoo arms? It is big and it's getting bigger and bigger. It's absolutely a, a growth place. It's going this way, not this way. Mm -hmm. But we knew from the beginning that what I wanted to do is prove out the concept of setting up a business separately from everything else we were doing, setting up the structure our process of developing our own product line. We had done it with a lot of other people. That's great. But when it's your, when it's yours, when you're making the decisions only for you, uh, when it's your own money, when it's everything that you're doing, you want to make sure that you're doing it right and you have all the right pieces. So the first thing that we did is we built out our bomb um, and it 
it was phenomenal. I mean, the product was phenomenal. I delayed it like three times because it wasn't what I wanted it to be. I drove people crazy. It, we lost a lot of money missing delivery windows that we were, you know, uh, promising that we were going to hit to ourselves for our own financial internal goals. But when I knew we had it, we had it. And uh, we named it Nuclear Bomb. And uh, because it lights up your tattoos and it grabs your attention. And one of the things that goes back is that you, you mentioned, you know, the names of our products and that how do we come up with them? And, you know, it, it, it is deliberate. I mean, you know, you look at the names like our beard shampoo is called Beard Gasmic. Um, it's a camp, shampoo and conditioner in our tattoo uh, bomb, nuclear bomb, you know, because one, we want it to be relevant. It lights up your tattoos. People want bright, poppy tattoos. But it's a statement. You know, I want people to know that this is the best effing tattoo bomb that I believe exists on the planet. You know, that's not making a claim. That's not putting anyone else's product down. This is from a guy who's been getting tattooed for 25 years from from top artists all around the world, taking everything I know. I've been working with labs, doctors, dermatologists, every way, shape and form. And I went through 90 plus rounds of formulations on our own product before I finally said, we got it. And I was very involved down to, I don't want this ingredient, add this ingredient. No, let's get Kabiba oil because Kabiba oil works really well on irritation. They use it sometimes for burn victims. It's going to be great for inflammation on new tattoos. It's going to help with the red, reduce the redness. I wanted grapeseed oil and babasu oil because they're not only antibacterial, but the biggest issue that I had and most people have with a lot of products for tattoo <laughs> out there are petroleum based and they're heavy and they're greasy and they sticky and they can smother. And I'd gotten infections using them just in my experience. I didn't want that. So grapeseed oil is very lightweight. Um, it's very, very lightweight. It's not greasy. It feels really good. Babasu oil comes from the Amazon. It's a great natural ingredient um, and it has antibacterial benefits in it. We have rosemary leaf extract, which is tremendous for your skin, any type of skin care. So what we really did is being in the skincare world for 20 years, we developed this skincare line that is great for your skin, whether you have tattoos or not. And if you do have tattoos, it makes it even better for your tattoos. But you can use our products anywhere on your body and you'll have that that amazing result. And, and that's what we wanted. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is that being in the world of skincare and corporate skincare, you know, you, you see behind the glass mirror, you see behind the curtain of the wizard. And uh there's a lot of BS out there, man, uh, probably more than people even realize. Uh, you know, one of the common terms in, in skincare, and I'm not saying about any one brand in particular, but a very common practice that, that anybody who's been in the skincare beauty industry will tell you about, if they're honest, is called fairy dusting or marketing levels. And what that means is I, I can pick up any product, and yet you have to list all of your ingredients, which we do you don't have to list your percentage of ingredients. So in other words, when I'm talking about, you know, we use like, for instance, this is our, our, okay, our nuclear bomb that we were just speaking about. When I'm talking about Kapiba oil and I'm talking about rosemary extract, rosemary leaf extract, babasu oil, grapes oil, these are expensive ingredients. They cost a lot of money. You can market those. You bring those up and explain them the way I did. And people go, oh, those are really important. I want that on my skin. Great. Well, I may use a, very high level percentage of those ingredients to give the consumer the best result possible. That costs me much more money to make this because the ingredients are what cost the most money. Joe can go out down the street and use the same ingredients and he can just sprinkle the tiniest little bit, a fraction. It's called fairy dusting. And then he can write the same ingredients on the back of his. The consumer doesn't know. You're looking at the labels. 
it's not clear. It doesn't have the percentages. So at the end of the day, Joe can sell his for a third of what I can and still make money, but he's not really putting the the proper amount of ingredients to give the consumer the the benefit. So, you know, in general, the world and the economy and businesses tend to have a way of working themselves out. Um, those, you know, snake oil type of people tend to go away. They don't last. My background has been building brands that last, and that's what we're doing with Derm Dude. But that that's why it's a process and it's not do 20 things at once. We wanted to do it 100% right. So we built out our 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 bombs we built out our spf for tattoo sunscreen we built out our tattoo line and then we moved on to beard because yeah 30 percent, 32 percent of people have tattoos you know at least one we want more so yeah. you know I, I wanted to grow a beard and guys have beards and nobody is really you know yeah people who are marketing to guys but they're not informing guys and they're not developing products from the guys who had the beard struggles. Every product and thing we get into is something I can personally relate to and said, there's a need. Someone is not making the best product or they're not making the best product for the best value. There's a gap we can fill. And and that took us into beard and obviously balls. Uh, the great part about balls is, I mean, like I said, 99% of all people, men and women, you know, want great smelling balls. So yeah, it's yeah. it's quite the audience. So people come in for balls and then they'll buy a tattoo or a beard and, you know, uh, but we come up with the names in a way that um, we want to grab your attention. I want you to stop and look around. I want you to listen for a second, not so that we can educate because I think that's patronizing, mm -hmm. but we want to be able to inform you. I want you to say, why do you call it nuclear bomb? So I can explain because it lights up your tattoos. It helps them look brighter and healthier. And let me explain why. I want them to read about it on our website. I want someone to say, happy sack, not love, cooling cream. Wow, I, I want to take a look at that. Because at the end of the day, it's a jar. <laughs> you know, they, they can't feel it. They can't touch it, someone at home. Um, you know, I can sit there all day long. And this is our happy sack, not love cream. And even when I do this and put it on my hand, like it is cooling. It is instantly, you feel it cooling even on your hand. It's made for your sack, but this is fine. There's nothing it's ex external. Mm -hmm. But someone watching doesn't know that until they try it for themselves. So I want to do what I can so people will stop, take a look around, and let us inform and share, honestly, why we think our products will benefit you and, and have a good positive experience for you know your hard-earned money. I, yeah, I, I uh, we're not, you know, I, I always say I, I don't want to take someone's money if we're not providing them uh, something they feel absolutely great about on a one to 10. It needs to be a 10. Um, if it's a nine, we didn't succeed. I think, I mean, obviously, just hearing you speak, I mean, there's obviously two sides here. Like, I mean, your brand and your image, you're a man's man, but obviously there, there's a softer side to you. And, I, and I'm not saying this to, to, to kind of talk down. I'm saying this because it's like. In order for you to be who you are, you have to have both sides to be able to understand the market sector. And it also goes to you being as a parent. So I want to kind of talk about that side. I mean, your dad was an entrepreneur. You grew up in, in that environment. You understand that. And then I think it was chapter eight in your book. It was um, the kids, the ultimate clean slate. So I want you to kind of like talk about that a little bit more so from from the standpoint of because like with me, my kid, when he was younger, like your story, you had 50,000 images. I had like 40 something thousand images on, on, on a device and I. I uploaded them to the cloud. So I want you to kind of talk about the experience of going to Ethiopia, getting, getting Zoe, having those 50,000 images and like, what did that make you feel? Yeah. Um, I, for me, uh, well, three of my four kids 
uh, have had, you know, very serious medical conditions near near death, that changes everything, no matter what, um, uh, beyond belief. So Zoe, our first, uh, we were adopting her from Ethiopia. Um, and we were very, very blessed in that I think she was what they call referred or referral to us uh, when she was 10 weeks old, which is highly unusual, much beyond, that was much younger than would be the typical for a lot of reasons internationally, but there were reasons why. And she was in our arms when she was four months old. So that we're very thankful for that. Obviously, that that's just when you're adopting a child, especially a baby, you would obviously want your baby in your arms as soon as possible um you wouldn't want them at someone else's house or in another country but that's the reality uh right before we went to get on a plane uh about five days uh to go fly to ethiopia and pick her up we found out we're called through our local agency in texas and they said you know communications limited but but she is very sick along with some of the other babies at the orphanage and she'd been taken to a medical center you know again it's you know rural ethiopia so you don't really know medical center hospital you know it's I think the third or fourth lowest healthcare in, in the world and one of the larger nations. So it's, it's, it's bad. And at the time, I think, you know, 5,000 babies a day were dying of dehydration and basic preventable illnesses here in, in, in the West. And uh, when someone says that your, your child, uh, your baby, even though you haven't met them and picked them up yet, she was ours, you know, I mean, she was ours. We had pictures of her as a little 10 week old and, and you know, named her and, and everything, and had her room ready. And when they said she she, we don't know what's going to happen. She's unconscious, you know. And it's not like there's Zoom. It's not like there's FaceTime. Uh, even today, uh, communication is not very good with Ethiopia. But back then, forget about it. I mean, it might be a day or two before you can even get someone on the phone who then might have to you know get information from a rural area. Um, you know, and again, you're dealing with third world, um, you know, orphanages and. Uh, this, these kids are not necessarily the priority sometimes of, of, of third world governments, uh, the orphan kids. Um, so uh, thank God she pulled through. And uh, a week later, we were there and got her and held her in our arms and uh, brought her home. And, and that definitely uh, impacted, I think, uh, you know, I, I joke, but I mentioned that, you know, I think when she was eight or nine, uh, I, I was, hey, baby, baby, be careful, be careful. And she was like playing on the monkey bar that she screamed at me in front of her friends at the park. Dad, you are preventing me from conquering my fears in life. You have to stop this. And just hearing an eight or nine year old say that, and you know, and yeah, you know, hey, don't you want to ride your bike? No, because you're going to run beside me no matter what, not in case she fell. So, but when you have a child that you know you're so scared that you might lose, it it does impact you. And it, you know, you kind of say to yourself, if I ever get my arms around them, I'm, I'm going to make sure nothing ever happens to them. So it's where you go back and realize that sometimes as, as a parent, you do things with one intention and goal, and maybe your kids may see it a different way, but you also know that if you do have the best intentions as they get older, they, they, they will realize that um, there's, there's a clear line between that or, or, or someone who's like, you know, being abusive or, or uh, towards your kids, you know, loving them too much is definitely a better option than the opposite. Um, and then my other three were, um, born in the u.s but uh um you know a, a lot of different uh unplanned medical things that thankfully are either under control uh in in, a, in some cases or have seemed to have worked themselves out some you know still in process but 
Um, I just think that, you know, the love you have for your kids is hard to put into words unless you have kids, Mm -hmm. then you know it. Um, And then, you know, the pain of seeing your child um, in any type of hurt or harm, especially medically, there is no worse out of control feeling in the world. You, You can make a thousand promises to God every day, no matter what you believe, what God you believe in, what you do believe, don't believe. I mean, I, crazy things go through your head, you know, when your kid is in the NICU and you don't know if they're going to make it in the U.S. or whatever's happening, which I've, I've been through all of that, you know, and, uh, you know, you make these stupid things. Hey, God, you know, I'll, I'll cut off my right arm if or if you need to, you know, hit me in the balls with a baseball bat 10,000 times. But 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 Jackson will be OK or Harper will get better. You know, I'm up for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just weird, stupid stuff where you're basically trying to, like, offer whatever you have to anything stronger than you that has maybe more control than you do because you know you're hopeless to to take care of your your babies and your kids because it's it's everything you know yeah i I think i think on that note i mean obviously you're talking about in an environment to where potentially you can be like hopeless right so let's say your four kids they decide to to get into business, right? They decide to become entrepreneurs. Maybe one of them decides to take up where you leave off with your company right now. What right. words of wisdom do you want to leave behind for them when they hit those times of difficulty, those times of hurdles? How are you going to tell them to then overcome it and to push forward? Yeah. One of the things that I tell myself, and it wouldn't be any fluff or BS, I would never tell my kids something that I don't believe or do myself. Uh, and you know, I've had a lot of valleys, uh, that have, have really been my pathway back to the peaks. Mm. Um, and I would say to them, uh, and I kind of already do, especially to my older one and, and my younger, my son is starting to be a little bit more aware, but you know, you have to fall down. You're going to fall down. You're going to fail. Um, you know, someone shared recently with me that, that fail F A I L is if you break it down as first attempt in learning. And when I heard that, I was like, man, why did I have to be almost 50 before I, that's, that says it all? And I've always celebrated failures, um, probably to the point where people think I have a real uh, uh, mental problem on that end of it. But it's not that I want to lose uh, or like to lose. I hate it. Um, but it's a fact of life that if you want to get better and grow, you have to lose. Um, and if you do it the right way and look at it the right way and say, what did I learn from this? What could I improve on and do differently? And then you apply that. That is the greatest gift of, of all, because you can just keep going and going and going. If Michael Jordan made every one of his shots that he ever made, uh, you know, what, what would he, how would he have grown? Um, you know, what would he have practiced? What would he have tried to improve upon? So um, I would tell them, you know, that, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, embrace it and just ask yourself, what can you learn from it? Hmm. I would tell them to be accountable and, and own their own mistakes. You know, I try to own my own, um, you know, um, I'm a big Springsteen fan. One of the lines in one of his songs is, you know, uh, that he prays that his kids sins will be their own. Um, and it is, you know, I've got my own faults, my own failures. Um, I've tried to own up to them. I'll make more mistakes in the future. I hope I will own up to those uh, as, as as best that I can. But I don't want my kids to carry any burden for my own uh, demons or misdoings. And, you know, let their mistakes be their own. They'll make them, but let them own them and let them, you know, be better for it. And then and then grow from there. You know, growth is life. When, when you stop growing, you stop living. 
Um, and I want them to have a very, very, you know, long, um, uh, happy, fulfilled life that doesn't just uh, bless them, but blesses, you know, everyone they come in contact with. And that, that would be, you know, the nicest legacy I could ever have. It wouldn't be the number in a bank account. It would be, um, you know, the, the four vines, the four paths and directions that my, that my kids go and, and continue to, you know, feed the world for the future. Yeah, yeah. So think- those are those are among the top things, and and I, the the last one I say, if I break it down to three, is is don't feel sorry for yourself or blame other people. Mm-hmm. Um, human tendencies, we will. F- I mean, I felt sorry for myself earlier today because Starbucks was out of my favorite drink that I tried to order, and I. <laughs> so I mean, you know, we we all fail and have you know, and you slap yourself and be like, you big, yeah, right. Um, so you know, we're human. We have our moments, but uh, obviously, it's a, a, a shallow example. But but don't feel sorry for yourself if, when you do snap out of it, because when you feel sorry for yourself, uh, that is poison. You're poisoning yourself. You're poisoning others around you. If you want one guaranteed way not to pull yourself out of a tough valley, it's to feel sorry for yourself and or to blame someone else. Um, you know, you don't have to be happy about where you are at any given point. You don't have to say this is great. You don't have to BS or fluff. I, I don't agree with that at all. Be real. And, and be focused on where you want to go and how you're going to get there, but don't sit there and have the woe is me attitude. And I, I really try to instill that in my kids, even from the earliest ages. Like I said, my twins just turned six and my son is seven. Um, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, in, when they're playing basketball or flag football or in school, whatever it is, you know, they're old enough to have some understanding of if you make a mistake, own it, apologize, get back in in, in life and, and just improve on it. Uh, even on their level, they can understand that and start working towards it uh, at, at that point. Yeah, I, I think I think it's, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously you're setting up the foundation for your kids. So, like, my next question is it, a little bit on the sci-fi things, right? But if you had an opportunity, right, to spend 24 hours with anyone and that person could be dead or they could be alive and you could time travel back and spend 24 hours with them, who would that person be and why? Um, I, I'd say, uh, probably throw a lot of people, uh, considering, you know, all the historical Mm. opportunities, uh, and I'm not saying it wouldn't be fun to be a pirate with Blackbeard for a day or so, uh, minus the hygiene, uh, probably wasn't too comfortable. Uh, but I, there was a, uh, do you remember who Anthony Bourdain was? Oh, of course. Chef, um, storyteller, author um died tragically um several years ago um i would i would uh love to have a meal with him um 24 hours would be incredible but if nothing else i would love to have you know a couple of tequilas and Mm. and have a meal and sit down with him and and not for the food from the perspective he doesn't need to cook you know go get hot dogs or fast food i don't care um but i uh you know i think he's a great genius that obviously we lost tragically and too soon and uh as you dive into the book um even though i didn't know him personally his journey in life and story oddly um had a kind of overlapping effect on my own and some of the events that have impacted my life in fact i have a one of the tattoos on the side of my leg that when i wear shorts tends to get a lot of eyeballs is a anthony bourdain tattoo that's very lifelike um and you know uh, people say, why'd you get that? I say, well, it's not because I wanted to be a chef and it's not because I 
you know, watch a lot of TV. It's, you know, about things about him um, that, you know, the book gets more into some, but uh, starts to get like really personally detailed and, and, and talks about loss and, and people I've lost and overlapping similarities. So um, that's the fun part of the book uh, is you get not that story is not fun, but I mean, meaning you, if, if someone wants to really dive into the stuff we're talking about today, uh, the book uh, comes out in a few weeks and it's, uh, I'm an open book and I share things and talk about things that I've not shared with others in 50 years and 50 years old. And um, it's, it's, you know, wide open. We call it under my skin, um, bearing it all one tattoo at a time. So everything in my life and journey up until now uh, to Durham dude and everything in between uh, is, is really, really there, you know, like an onion peeled back. Very cool. So, I mean, how did they get in contact with you as far as like getting some of your, your merchandising? Is it like Durham dude? Yeah, Dur- Dur- yeah. So Durham dude.com D E R M Durham dude, D U D E Durham dude.com is our hub. I mean, I think of it as a community as much as, as a, as a website to buy stuff, but you certainly can buy products, but we have our blog, we have all of our contact info, all of our social links from there. Um, if someone wants to, um, email me directly, I, I answer my own emails. Nobody else does. Uh, and my email is CDO at dermdude.com. That's in chief dude officer, which is my title. Uh, when you own the company, you get to give yourself, you know, fun title. You could be, you know, chief boss, whatever you want. Uh, so it's CDO, uh, at dermdude.com. And I, I love hearing from people. I do. And, uh, um, you know, we built this brand for, for people like us, you know, um, there's no, there's no BS. There's no, um, MBA marketing plan behind it. It's just real, uh, as real as it gets. So, and the book comes out in about two, three weeks. You can see it on our website when it comes out or on Amazon. And the book is called under my skin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate you, man. I mean, in closing of the podcast, I mean, you're, you're a fellow podcaster. So I like to give opportunity to whoever I'm interviewing to become the host of the Boston cage podcast. So do you have any questions that you'd like to ask me in closing? I would like to ask you a bunch of them. We ran out of time. I see you got a book back there. I think I want to read that. Uh, you know, I want to, you have a, I'm sure you have a cool story, man. I can just tell from vibing off you. So I'm going to have to follow back up with you. I wish I wasn't tight on time. See, Dan, yeah, yeah, I spoke yeah. too much. Oh, well, I mean, I, I think you had to tell your story, man. So I, I think this is not going to be the last time we're, we're both going to be in a podcast. So I, I look forward to interviewing you later on when the book is out, maybe in my book club, we can kind of talk more about the insides and outs of the book chapter by chapter. I would love that. I would love that. I would love to know more about your book club too. You probably have some great uh, recommendations, which I'm always open to. I'm always like skimming through five, six reads at once. And I love getting good referrals and cool. book recos. Cool, cool. Well, I mean, I, I, that, that's it for today. I think this is to be continued, man. I definitely love having you on the show. I definitely, you know, enjoyed you taking the time out at your busy schedule to be here. And I think you delivered hella value to our listeners. All right, brother, send us an email so I could send you with your address and we'll, uh, We'll get you all sacked up in some tattoo product, too. Cool. Love to hear what you think about it. I appreciate that, man. S.A. Grant, over and out. Hey, guys, let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor. If you're a business owner or someone looking to break into the audio media space, user-friendly audio creation and editing software can provide a distinct advantage. Boss Uncaged Podcast has reviewed for you Rumble Studios audio content creation software, which allows you to generate asynchronous interviews with one or multiple guests, recommending it for podcasters seeking to release more episodes with less effort and companies looking to optimize their marketing initiatives. With the software, you can create an 
interview landing page to ask questions and collect unlimited audio responses in multiple formats without any coding experience. There's gold in podcasts. Forbes recently predicted that advertising revenues through podcasting alone will reach $2.7 billion by the end of 2025. That's an appealing forecast for creators. And businesses know it's a market that provides returns on advertising investments. Act fast. The deal won't last forever. Visit bossmcage.com slash spoken now. Unlock the power of your voice with spoken. Back to the show.